Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. You ready for some of the word today? Amen. We're going to go over to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to talk to you today about the team you're on now that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes, I do encourage that. I've given you a little acronym for team, and we're going to walk through that. Before we do, I came across this and. Uh, I felt like I had to share it with some of you. How many of you were raised in a spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, Pentecostal, whatever you want to call it, atmosphere, kind of church, all right? Okay, you might identify with some of this. Some of you that were not, you're probably going to go, what the heck is he talking about? But you may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if you've recommitted your life to Christ more than 10 times in a year. You would say a quick prayer asking for the forgiveness of as many sins as you could, as you could remember when the traveling prophet would start walking around the room. (laughs) You know what the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is. Your church logo had a dove on fire. You feel uncomfortable in churches where people don't raise their hands. (laughs) You liked Hillsong before they were cool. You've experienced and or participated in a Jericho march. You've complained about worship services being too short. You may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if someone in your service caught the Holy Spirit and subsequently gave it to others. You may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if you laid things on the altar but never physically left anything there. <laughs> Some of you, this is, this is going back a little further. You may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if your church showed the Thief in the Night movies followed by an emotional appeal for people to be sure of their salvation. Yeah, those, those were end-time movies that came out in the late 70s. Scared the bejesus out of me. I mean, just scared me so bad. I, I felt like I needed to make sure every night before I went to bed. Just in case, one more time, Jesus, won't you come into my heart? All right? You may have been raised in a spiritual church if you've been grazed by a banner during worship service. <laughs> You may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if it's common for people to take off their shoes during worship. You may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if your church's altar ministry included catchers. Still do. You may have been raised in a, this is this is definitely the story of my life here. If your friend's parents were skeptical of letting them come with you to youth group. Uh, if you were raised in a spiritual church, you know that it was okay for women to be pastors, prophets, teachers, or evangelists. And all the ladies said, uh, You may have been raised in a spiritual church if you know what a human video is. Three of you. Okay. Um, you may have been raised in a spiritual church if your worship leader would sing the same refrain or chorus from a song for more than five minutes. <laughs> Uh, You may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if you've had to explain to your friends what being slain in the spirit means. You may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if your church had a blanket ministry. Yeah, y'all know what that's about, don't you? (laughs) 
you may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if uh, your church was known as the rock and roll church. I personally know that our church has been called that before. I've had people tell me that, you're, oh, you're the rock and roll church. Yes, proudly. God gave rock and roll to you, my friend. There was no such thing as an order of service at your church. <laughs> I like this one. You're comfortable with spontaneous singing. When I was a kid, y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, those of you that know what I'm talking about, uh, we just sing. Just, just let's sing a new song, and everybody starts singing. I had denominational friends that would come to our church and like, what, what are you doing? Just sing a song, man. Just make something up. It's fun. <laughs> you may have been raised in Spielberg Church if the shofar was used in your church worship services. Pentecost Sunday was a big deal at your church. Summer camp involved pressure for you to receive your prayer language. <laughs> the phrase, I'm feeling led by the Spirit right now, was used frequently in your church services. The phrase, I should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia, <laughs> makes you laugh and feel guilty at the same time. <laughs> you may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if the altar call lasted as long as the actual church service. And... You may have been raised in a spirit-filled church if you actually have been drunk in the spirit. So, all right. Let's take our Bible. Did we go to Ephesians 3? All right. Praise God. I know what time it is, but the game doesn't start till 5.30 or so, so I promise to let you out by then. I promise that you'll be home in time. I love the nervous laugh. All right, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, abu why does the Bible tell us that? Why does the Bible tell us that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, unless God wants us to have an expectation of that? Hmm? Because religion teaches you to just pray simple prayers, like, Lord, I don't ask for much. I just want my needs met. That's all I ask. I'm not here to be greedy for what you have. No, 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 no. He just said he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Maybe that's where he wants your faith. Huh? Why would he tell us that? Why would Jesus make 120 gallons of wine? Because he's trying to make everybody winos? No, he's trying to teach us how God meets a need. Wine just happened to be the need that day when he turned the water into wine. But he's showing us how God longs to meet a need and how he's willing to meet our need far above what we could ask or think. And the scripture even teaches over in, uh, when it says uh, that when he was feeding the 5,000, it didn't say that everybody ate as much as they needed. The scripture says they ate as much as they wanted. That's interesting, isn't it? And then there was leftover. 
So he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. How, ba- how big can you ask? How big can you think? It's more than that. It's like the kid who was at the church potluck, and when they got down to the chocolate cake, he asked the lady that was serving, he said, can I have the big piece? And his mother said, son, that's not nice. That's rude to ask for the biggest piece. He said, well, then how do I get it, mom? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us to Him. Be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to give you your words uh, for the word team right quick. Toughness. Everybody say toughness. Establishment. Awareness. And maturity. Toughness, establishment, awareness, and maturity. Look at back at verse 16. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. This is the toughness of the believer. Hallelujah. It's found, your strength, your real power is found in your inner man. See, I want you to understand today, and if you already do understand it, to be reminded again that you are a spirit that lives in a house. All right? This is just your house. This isn't you. This is where you really live. You abide here, but this, this house is going away someday. Yeah, this house is deteriorating, but praise God, that's not the end of our life. This, you're going to get a new house that's going to be able to keep up with your spirit for eons and eons. But for now, we understand that we are a spirit. You are a spirit. You have a soul. That is your mind, your will, your emotions, how you operate. And then you live in this body, in this house. Okay? So he's saying your real strength, what makes you tough in this world, is not that you have any physical qualities, even though that's a good thing too, for your health's sake, but your real strength is found in the Spirit, by the Spirit of God. What was it about Samson? I love the story of Samson. It's both got great, it's very encouraging, the, the things he was able to accomplish and do, but it's also very tragic too because of his own weaknesses and his giving into his own weaknesses and failings. But he was a judge over Israel, and when you think of Samson, what do you think of? You think of strength, don't you? You think strong. Matter of fact, if you look at a lot of artist drawings of, of him, he has muscles popping out all over the place. And we think of Samson, we think of a big old muscled-up dude. But I, I don't think that's really what he must have looked like. Because the people questioned, where did he get his strength from? I mean, wouldn't it be obvious, right? Wouldn't it be obvious if he was all muscled up, muscles everywhere, popping out, that everybody would say, oh, obviously he's strong because, no, there's something about him that made people question. So it must not have been too impressive physically. Where does he get his strength? I mean, it's not every day that a man will rip a lion apart with his bare hands. That's not average strength. But Samson did it. It's not every day you see a guy pick up a jawbone of a donkey laying on the ground, pick that thing up, and beat a thousand men to death with it. It's it's above average. Or that he was in a city and they were, they, that he got news that they were laying, lying in wait uh, to pounce on him. So in, to get out of the city, he grabbed the doors of the gates and pulled them up, bar and everything, plus the gate post, put those doors up on his shoulders and walked them up a hill. And they asked this question, where does he get his strength come? But the, 
Scripture says the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. But see, you and I have a greater reality than Samson had. Because the Spirit would come and on them, and then, but the Spirit would depart. But now when Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you, and He's with you for good. Oh, man, you don't just have the Spirit on you, ladies and gentlemen. You have the Spirit in you. He abides in you. And that way you can always call on that strength that's always there, a very present help in time of need, the Scripture says. That's your real strength. That's really what makes you tough. And it's not, be, not, it's not something that you can get at the gym. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's found in the inner man. It's found in who you really are is what it's saying. I like what Jude says, beloved, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Because when you pray in the Spirit, you reveal the secrets of God. You reveal the mysteries. You reveal things that you, don't, you wouldn't know how to pray for. So the Holy Spirit is there to help you with that marvelous language that sounds like this. Blah, 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 blah. Isn't it just like the wisdom of God? I just love that. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Everybody say establishment. Yeah, that Christ may dwell. The word for dwell actually means to settle. That he would settle in your hearts by faith. That Christ would be settled in your hearts through faith. So faith is the continual acknowledgement. Listen to me now. Faith is the continual acknowledgement of Christ in me. Because, see, here's the thing about this. This was a mystery that was hidden. Paul says this mystery was hidden through the ages. Nobody knew this. God kept this secret locked away in his heart for a time. And that time would be when God would call that, that, that Pharisee named Saul, who would become Paul, the greatest the greatest Christian to ever walk the earth, and give him this revelation. What was that revelation? Well, at one time, God only looked upon the Jewish people. They were the only object of his affection. He still does love them very much. But Jesus, when he came, he said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So when he went about healing, he healed Jews. When he went about teaching, he taught Jews because that's who he was after. These were the natural born children of Abraham. But God had a secret yet locked away. And that secret was known by the Apostle Paul as he began to say, listen, when Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world, that included yours. This was the genius behind the entire plan of salvation that God would have all people come to salvation. Every nation, every creed, every one of us have access to to him. It's not just for the Jews only. No, it's by those who will simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us get in on the rights and the covenant and all the favor of God. It's a marvelous thing. And Paul said this wasn't known before. He said, but now it's been revealed to you. That is Christ in you. So what you need to understand is Christ is in you so that wherever you go, God goes. Wherever you go, wherever you walk, he's there with you. And it's going to take faith to realize that. Mm-hmm. It's going to take faith to know that. It's going to take faith to have that continual understanding that Christ is in me. Because, see, here's the thing. When you believed on Jesus Christ for salvation, how many of you have done that? Huh? You put your faith in him and you realized that you couldn't save yourself, but Jesus Christ died for your sins and you said, yes, I'll take that exchange. He became sin and I became righteousness. He became wounded and I became healed. He became a curse and I became blessed. He became poor and I became rich. He became the son of man so that I could become a son of God. I'll take that exchange. See, he didn't just give you a changed life. Jesus Christ gave you an exchanged life. 
your life for his. And so with the moment you believe the gospel, Christ came. And this says that Christ may settle in your hearts by faith. See, it's already a settled issue with him. But we have to settle that issue. We have to settle that issue. We, we have to see that by faith because it's not every day that you're going to feel like that. It's not every day that your, your mind is going to operate in that way. That's why we have to continue to renew our mind to this truth. Like I was telling the earlier services, this guitar here, I'm, me and my brother, years ago we owned a, a music store down in San Marcos in a, a recording studio. And uh, we worked on guitars all the time. And so I, I learned how to fix them and those kinds of things. And one thing I learned about the guitar is right up in here, there's a little hole right here where you can put a little Allen wrench in there, and there's a rod, a steel rod that runs right in this neck, all right? And that's what keeps it strong. That's what keeps the neck straight, called a truss rod. And so if your neck, over time, especially if the guitar is um, neglected, and if it's not played very often, those strings have a lot of tension on them. And so if the guitar sits for a long time or, or uh, you put it in cold and heat and cold and heat, all of a sudden, that neck begins to pull forward. And as the neck pulls forward, the strings get further away from the neck. And then what's called the action, which is the space between the string and the neck, the action gets high is what we call it, and it makes it very difficult to play the guitar because you have to hold the strings down that much more. So you adjust that truss rod, and then the neck begins to follow the steel rod in the middle. You make those adjustments incrementally. And something that we learned over time that it doesn't happen immediately because you have to give the wood time to move. So you, you, you adjust it, maybe half a turn or a full turn or something, then you just let the guitar set. And overnight, over the next 24 hours, it begins to uh, adjust to that rod. This is what this means when it says that you are letting Christ settle in your heart by faith. Well, you have to make those adjustments up front before you actually really realize those adjustments. And that happens by you believing and speaking. This is the pattern of our life. We're created in God's image. When God spoke, light be, light was. You being made in his image, you declare those things that be not as though they are, guess what? You get exactly what you say because you're made in his image. All right? The scripture says that we also having the same spirit of faith, I believe, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. All right? So that's why you need your mouth to speak, Christ in me. Christ is in me. Hallelujah. I am like Jesus right now. Hallelujah. Not because I've done anything, not by my own works of righteousness, but because of his mercy, he made me like him. Because of his grace, he made me like him. Establishment. And it says rooted and grounded in love. Love's been the whole purpose behind all of this. The reason you even came into existence, the reason the world is what is here is because God loved us. Now, let's go to 18. May be able, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Now, that's an amazing thought to me because I already, how many of you found it's hard to describe God's love? One of, the, one of the saddest things that we do is that we measure God's love with our own love, right? We just think it's a little bit better. <laughs> because a lot of times people show love or give love based on the actions of the other person. 
whether those things are good or bad. So then they'll experience a certain level of love or they'll withhold love because somebody did them wrong. But that's not how God loves. God's love is unconditional. It's not based on what we do or don't do. It's because He chooses to do it. He just chose to love you, whether you were good or bad. Woo! Now, that, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Now, I've told you this before. I have kids. I wouldn't trade any of them for any of you. None of them. Well, maybe now. that we had, They're all teenagers now. I, actually, let me think about that. I'm going to be truthful, not just try to be illustrative. Okay, anyway, no, I, I really wouldn't. I mean, if, if, if any of my children, if any of them, if any of them, if there was a scenario where all of you were going to die, but if I traded one of my children, if I, if I said, no, they can die in your place and all of you would survive, you will all die because I'm not trading my kid for any. I'm just not doing it, right? Because that's my love. I love all of you, but I love my children more. That's the love that I can come up with. That's the love that I can produce. That, that's the love I know I have. But God so loved the world that he gave Jesus up for all of us. Now, that's where the springs go, boom. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand that. I can't comprehend that love. So, listen, if I can't comprehend it, if you can't comprehend it, what, what can you do about it? Receive it. Because it's what God came to give you. Whether you can understand it or not. But Paul says something interesting. I pray that you can comprehend it, he says. That you can understand its length, its depth, its height and its width. Now, that's extraordinary, isn't it? To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that speaks of awareness, doesn't it? And you can't be aware of that by yourself. He has made you aware by what He's taught us in His Word. The gospel is what makes you aware of this kind of love, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes on Him will not perish but have everlasting life. In West Texas, there's a famous oil field known as Yates Pool. During the Depression, uh, this field was a sheep ranch owned by a man named Mr. Yates. And Yates was not able to make enough money on his uh, ranching operation to pay the principal and the interest on their mortgage, so he was in danger of losing his ranch. And uh, with little money for clothes or food, they were just struggling to get by. Um, his family, like many others, had to live on government subsidies. Day after day, as he grazed his sheep there on the field, he wondered, how am I going to pay my bills? It was just one day after another, just simply trying to survive and keep his head above the water. Then one day, a uh, seismograph crew came out to his place and told Mr. Yates that there might be oil on his land. They asked permission to drill a wildcat well, and he signed a lease contract. And they drilled down 1,115 feet and struck a huge oil reserve. The first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. Many of the later wells uh, were more than twice as large. 30 years after the well, the first well was drilled, all the wells still had the potential of pumping 125,000 barrels of oil per day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. Because when he bought the ranch, he also got the mineral and oil rights as well. And there he was all that time living on government assistance, 
a multimillionaire living a hand-to-mouth existence. Why? Because he wasn't aware that the oil was there all along. See, the love of God is an everlasting love. In other words, it's been here all along, my, fr- my family. It's been here all along. Before we ever were, it was. It is a limitless supply that will never run dry. So if he loved you before, that means he loves you now. And if he loves you now, that means he'll always love you forever and evermore. So you won't become aware of his love by trying to prove how much you love him. No, that won't happen. You're just going to end up spinning your wheels on that deal. You won't become aware. Because God loved you long before you could ever even love him back. You can't earn what God has already given you. And he gives love. To know his love, like I said, is to know his gospel, that he loved you very much. To know his precious son, that he's given his word full of promises so that you will discover again and again just how much your heavenly father loves you. And you become aware of all that and all his love is. It's not going to happen by might. It's not going to happen by power, but it's going to happen by his spirit. The scripture says that we've, been, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things or be aware of the things that have been freely given to us by God. That's good news, isn't it? And he lays out those four dimensions. How is it that you can measure what seems to be immeasurable, that you may comprehend with all the saints the width? How wide is this love? Oh, it's immense. It's wide enough to reach every person, every race, every nation, every need that you have, every care, and every situation. How long? So it says, comprehend with all the saints, the length. How long is this love? Well, it existed before time, and it will never end, and it is unapologetically unconditional. How high is God's love? Well, it's high enough to take all those who believe on Jesus all the way to heaven. And how deep is this love? His love is able to reach to the lowest of the low. To to reach the good, the bad, and the ugly. Huh? The worst of the worst and the best of the best. All his love meets all of us. Praise God. God demonstrates what the scripture says. God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, that's why we see it's unconditional. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God just decided I'm going to love him and I'm going to love him forever. Christ died. When we were weak, he was strong. When we were enemies, he was our friend. This is the awareness God wants you to have. This is the team that you're now on. He's given you toughness, establishment, awareness. And lastly, verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's that's a tall order, isn't it? To be filled with all the fullness of God. The scripture says that Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You may be filled with all the fullness. This, this, that word fullness means maturity. And I want you to notice something, that maturity comes through knowing the love of God. That's how we become mature of God. And I want you to go to one last place, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll finish with this scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, everybody all right out there? Are you out there today? All right. 
This is such a marvelous passage of Scripture. And you, you hear this Scripture quoted a lot of times at weddings. Um, it's such a beautiful standalone chapter. Uh, 13 verses in here, speaking of love. They call it the love chapter. But then toward the end of this chapter, there, there is an argument that takes place. As a matter of fact, there's a Scripture in there that has divided so many people through the years. And there's been so much misunderstanding of this Scripture but I, I believe that some things are going to get cleared up for you today about that. And we're going to bring this, keep this thing in perspective, in context of the entire passage. All right? You ready to have some Bible learning today? All right. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Notice he says, have not love. All right? Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy... And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3. And though, thank you, sweetheart. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, one of the, one of the sad things about how this is viewed is, is that, if I don't love others while I'm doing this, they make this about our action of love. And that is not what Paul is speaking about. Love suffers long, so you need to suffer long. Love is kind, so you need to be kind. That's, that's the kind of, they take away from the beauty of this entire chapter. Paul says, if I don't possess love, he's not talking about love that he gives, he's talking about love that he has. If I don't possess, if I don't have within my, this love of God, then it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't mean anything. I'm spinning my wheels because a lot of, if I'm, if I'm giving my body to be burned, if I'm doing all these things and if I don't have love, that means I'm trying to prove that I love God. And that's not going to do anything. That doesn't impress God. I promise you, you can't outlove him. You can't. His love is so much greater than us. And so what Paul says, if I do all those, that's, that's great and all, but if I have not received God's love for me first, then none of that stuff matters. There's no profit in that. When Jesus was talking to one of the churches in, in Revelation, he was, he was talking to these churches and, and, and really um, uh, rebuking a lot of them for, for their, their problems. One of them, he says, he says, uh, I know your works. He always says they knows their works. He, as children of God, Jesus isn't saying, I know your sin. He's saying, I know your works. Because your sin's been dealt with. He became sin. But he does know your works. And whether that, those works will receive a reward or not. But here he says, I know your works. He says, you hate false teaching. And I love that because I hate false teaching too, he says. He says, uh, you, you, you are, you've stayed in this fight. You, you don't grow tired. You don't grow weary. You, you've just been strong, and he's saying all these wonderful things. And he says, nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Wow. Wow. Now, when I was growing up, when I was in youth group, especially we had this youth pastor that liked to talk about first love a lot, and he always told us that we needed to quit acting like sinners and come back to that moment, that first moment when we got saved, when we first loved God. We need to get back to that kind of love for God, that kind of fervor and quit all this sin. And that's not a bad message, but that's not what that scripture's saying. The first love is not our love for God. The first love is his love for us. John said, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he first 
loved us. You need to come back to your first love. And remember, you need to possess the love. Take the love that I've given you because you've turned this whole thing around. You've switched motives and now you're doing all these good things because you feel like you need to prove your love for me. No, no, no. Come back to that place of rest and be loved by me. That's all Jesus is saying. Come back to that first love. Let me in with my love. So this is what Paul said, don't possess that love. I don't possess the love that God has for me. It doesn't matter what I do. And then he says, then it goes on to saying what the God kind of love looks like. Look at this, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. This is God's love, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Greek word agape. It's the God kind of love. Verse 5. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own, is not provoked. It thinks no evil. This, is, this might come for you today. Your heavenly Father has no evil thoughts about you whatsoever. Because love thinks no evil, and God is love. Wow. We might need to adjust some of our thinking then, huh? You ever felt like, you ever thought maybe God was angry at you? That you disappointed him? And that maybe he had a lightning bolt in his hand ready to strike next time you screw up? You better straighten up. See God as some... Only as a judge. Only as one who's waiting for us to fail one more time. Listen, nothing can be further from the truth. He thinks no evil. All right. Verse 6. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now look what God's love does. Verse 7. Bears all things. Aren't you grateful for that? Believes all things. Check this out. Believes all things. Believes all things. It sounds a little bit gullible, doesn't it? Hopes all things. Endures all things. And I love this one. Verse 8. Love never fails. Now, here's where we get into some discrepancies amongst churches. All right? This is where some of the walls come up that divide us. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Next. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Verse 10. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And right there is where the argument happens many times. What separates people in different denominations. Some take this scripture as saying, see, uh, all those things passed away because that which is perfect has come. And that which is perfect, they say, is the Bible. So we don't need prophecy and we don't need tongues. We don't need those things because we have the perfect thing in the Scriptures. And then those who, who prophesy and those who do you know, speak in other times and do say, well, you came too late to tell me, but okay. And so there's this division. As if Paul is just completely going off subject here and starts prophesying about the end. Let's, let's imagine that he's staying on course. Let's imagine, what's the subject of this chapter? Love. But when that which is perfect, what's perfect? The love of God is perfect. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, perfect love casts out all fear. Well, that's good. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Wow, think about that. Love has been perfected or matured in us in this, that we may have boldness. Some people, when they think of Judgment Day, even children of God, it's a frightful thought. Rather than a day of expectation of good. 
The only way that you can have boldness to stand there on judgment day is to know 100% that you are loved by God. So there's no fear there. That's what kept John at the, at the cross. That's why John could stand there. All their other disciples ran off, but John said, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. There's, there's nothing to be afraid of. Think about this. That which is perfect has come. That is love. That is you have received the love of God. This is what Paul's talking about. You've possessed the love of God. Then that which is in part will be done away. What does he mean by that? Well, you won't be looking for God's love through these kinds of things, through prophecy, even though that is an expression because it is a gift, through tongues, even though that is an expression of his love. But that's not the sum total of his love. How many of you have ever sat in a service where there was a prophet there? Of course, you have if you've been to this church. And, and, and you and you saw the prophet work, and you were hoping that maybe they would prophesy something over you. Come on, let's be honest with you. All right? So maybe, the, and, and I've seen this happen, and I've even experienced it myself. Lord, I need a word from you, and I'm, I'm coming here expectant, and then totally get overlooked, right? And what do you feel like? You feel like God loves them more than you because you're looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love. You're looking for love, hoping for a word from God. Or if you're looking for love by praying in the Spirit, these are things that are in part. In other words, they're not done all the time. They come and they go. People prophesy some days, some days they don't prophesy. That's all Paul is saying. He said, listen to me. If you'll grab a hold of that thing that lasts, that's an everlasting love. Then that which is in part will be done away. You don't need that to affirm God's love for you. It's nice. But you don't need it to affirm his love. You know that he loves you because he said he loves you. And that's all you need to know. Amen. Hello. And then watch what Paul says. The very next thing he says, ladies and gentlemen, is when I was a child, I spoke as a child. What he's saying is it's immature of us to only look for love through these other avenues. That's childish. Well, I guess God doesn't love me. What? Shut up, baby. Grow up. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, ugh, when I became a man, come on, say it, guys. It feels good. When I became a man, I put away, I put away childish things. When I became, in other words, when I fully received God's love for me, then I stopped thinking like a kid. I stopped thinking with insecurities. I fully received him. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. When? When we've received his love. When, when that which is perfect has come into our life. Now I know in part. When I'm walking through life, I only know in part. When I, but watch. But then I shall know just as I also am known. When are you going to know who you really are? When you know that you're loved by God and when you have received his love for you. And he, and he finishes with this. This is all the subject of love. This is not about end times, about tongues passing away and no longer miracles aren't. That's, that's ridiculous to make this say that. 
just so you can feel good about your denominational belief. Now we see in the mirror dim, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know as I also am known. The more I know his love, the more I know who I am. That's what he's saying. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And your faith can't even work without love. It's the only way that it, it does work. Faith works by love. Can you receive that today? Yeah. Amen. This is glorious. This is glorious. This is the team you're on today. This is, and God, these are things that are all offered by God, all offered by the Spirit. Not something that we have to make work. You're on a winning team because God put you on that winning team. Amen. He's given you the toughness to endure the things that you do, to, to, to focus in, to find your strength from the inner man through the power of the Holy Spirit, to know that you are established, hallelujah, and to continue to be established by faith. Let Christ settle in your heart. Keep that before you, Christ in me, the hope of glory, so that you'll live in that reality and be aware of his great love for you too. Try to imagine, just, just take yourself, to try to find the limits of his love, you'll never find them. And to come to the place of maturity where you stop wrestling with your own fears and with your own insecurities and, and, and just simply receive the love of God and understand you're not going to be able to earn this thing. Take it in so that you can be perfected, made mature by it and it alone. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God, for my family here today. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. Though we don't deserve it, you gave it to us anyway. We didn't earn it, couldn't earn it, but you gave it to us anyway. That's the beauty about your love. And that love never fails. Father, that we, that we would not tire ourselves going through the motions of things, but Father, to rest in this love that never fails. And to be confident that you are who you said you are. And we are who you say we are. Thank you for these promises that you've revealed to us. Thank you for that exchange life. Lord, that you didn't hire a bunch of employees in the kingdom of God. No, we're not employees. We're not slaves. We are sons. Sons in the family of God. So that keeps you very close to us and us very close to you, and we think about being family, Lord. There is none of this, the big guy ups, upstairs, the man upstairs, or the big guy in the sky. No, you're very near us. You're our Father who loves us with an everlasting love. Thank you that you came and rescued us. Thank you that you did not leave us in darkness. Thank you that you did not leave us dead in our sins. But Father God, you gave us life and that more abundantly. So that whatever things we face in this world, Lord, there are tragedies that happen. There are things that we don't have answers to. There, 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 all kinds of things happen. But here's the thing that we can know, that you love us. Therefore, we can trust you with everything in us. And we also understand this, that not everything that's orchestrated in the world is orchestrated by God. We're mature enough now to quit saying, well, God's in control. No, yeah, you are in control of what you want to be in control of, but you're not in control of everything because we're the ones here on planet Earth that you put in charge. Help us, Lord, to take responsibility where we need to take responsibility and let you be you in our lives. Father, I thank you that 
even right now, there are some in here today who just need healing. They just need reassurance. They need to re open up their hearts wide to receive your love. They've experienced things they don't understand. Lord, they've experienced trouble and tragedy and sadness and things that are beyond their control. But Father, I thank you that as they open up their heart to really hear you and to really receive from you, that they just might find something that they've been looking for all along. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that even as, as your children, when we close our eyes in death on this earth, your love never fails. We immediately are in the presence of the Lord because your love transcends this natural world. And it keeps us for the ages to come. And by that, we are comforted. By that, we have assurance, God. Thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for your blessing upon all these here today, that grace and peace would be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.